now. Get growing with Farmer Fred. Talk650andKSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. And a happy Sunday morning to you. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension Lifetime Master Gardener, garden columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com. All the ranting at the Farmer Fred Rant blog page at Twitter.com slash Tips. Lots of snark. And the uh, Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page where there's always a garden dialogue going on and and pictures of cool season vegetables. Why? Because it's that time of year to get in your fall and winter vegetable garden. That's what we spent a lot of time this morning on the KFBK Garden Show talking about with Quentin Young, Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery Manager, as well as Master Gardener uh, out at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. He and his orchard crew uh, take care of the fruit trees out there. So if you've got a fruit tree question, if you've got a vegetable question, if you've got any sort of a plant question, we got Quentin here who can help us out. So give us a call, 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255. Email, send it to fred at farmerfred.com. Quentin, out at Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery, now you've been busy because you have to do your ordering for 2019 this time of year. That's correct, yeah, yeah. So what what are you looking at bringing in for So we've already done our orders for roses, and those roses, you know, the roses will be in at the end of the year, and we'll pot those up, and those will be ready for sale. Um, we had to pre-order all of our fruit trees and our gallon liners for um, other edibles, you know, cane berries, blueberries, figs, pomegranates, things like that. Um, and we're ordering, uh, bringing in a lot of trees as well. All right. What kind of trees? Uh, I've got a bunch of really unusual or really nice specimen uh, weeping cherries, flowering cherries, um, both pink and white. Um, and in terms of mature size, some of them maybe 20 by 20, some of them smaller, 12 by 12. So they're kind of multi-use depending on where you want them in the garden. Um, I've got some really nice columnar ginkgos. I brought in some uh, Armstrong Gold uh, Red Maples, um, you know, so we're just sort of really stocking up on shade trees because fall is a good time to plant. What are the dimensions of a columnar ginkgo? Uh, this one is called Golden Colonnade, and it's about 40 feet tall, maybe 20 to 25 feet wide. All right. So, so good, good street tree. Good street tree and a, a summer privacy screen. Exactly. And All beautiful right. fall color. Oh, yeah. Ginkgo's, I, to me, one of my favorites, that brilliant yellow. And what's kind of nice and interesting about a ginkgo tree in the fall is the leaves turn yellow in the tree, but when they fall... They tend to all fall at once, or yes. a good majority of them, and then you have this beautiful yellow carpet. Which I wish people would leave at least for a day or so yeah. so you could see it. Yeah. yeah. And then cool. I forgot, we also have some really nice uh, dwarf ginkgos that only get maybe, one of them only gets about two to three feet tall and wide, and another one only gets about four or five feet tall. That's a shrub. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a really cool effect. Yeah. Um, but you don't have to invest in a space for a large ginkgo. Well, what are those varieties? Uh, Jade Butterfly is one, and Mary Ken is the other. Okay. And I specifically brought those down from Oregon. I've been trying to get those for a couple of years, and I, I'm glad I finally found them. Wow, a dwarf ginkgo. Yeah. Uh, and they would do well in a container, too. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. And uh, Full Sun? Full Sun, yeah. Okay. And, wow, what a show that would be. There, There is a garden in Michigan, I can't remember the name of it, I visited it maybe 25 years ago, that specialized in dwarf conifers. And actually, the ginkgo is a conifer by some odd quirk of nature uh, because it's so old. It's a really old tree. Uh, 
And it was just interesting to see all these conifers that were all less than 15 feet tall. Yeah, and we actually have quite a few. There's a lot of a lot of ones that I've hand-picked, but I've been working with a lot of growers up in Oregon, a lot of small family ones with bringing in dwarf conifers. A lot of them are grafted. Um, so, yeah, that's a uh, – and then a lot of those would do well in containers and, mm-hmm. and if you like to do bonsai. Yeah. And another use for them would be as that privacy screen. A lot of people choose – Unfortunately, something like a coast redwood for a quick-growing privacy screen, but they just get too huge and can overwhelm a yard yeah. and are a danger to your house and And, and, your and to your foundation yeah. and to your pipes, depending if you put them in the wrong spot, sure. Yeah, so the option I've been suggesting for the last few months or so is uh, let, let's think about some evergreen shrubs to put in. So why not? dwarf evergreen conifers that maybe max out at 15 or 20 yeah we've got a really nice one the silver mist deodar cedar that's a really nice one maxes out at maybe 10 feet huh okay that's interesting yeah all right yeah that there's a lot of plant material out there that probably if given a chance will do well here um for how long i don't know (laughs) i think everything's changing everything we know is wrong but uh We're, we're always learning yes we're always learning and uh as we learned uh, over on the KFBK Garden Show about those uh, interesting, cool season vegetables. And for those of, uh, i tell you what, after the, the first break, we'll uh, refer back to the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page and that uh, picture of the cool season vegetables that you brought in. And we'll just quickly name them because we talked in detail about them over on the KFBK Garden Show that you can listen to on a podcast. But we'll just uh, name the ones that were on that uh, page until we have time to you know, actually type them in to Facebook. I will comment on your Facebook post. No, I'm going to let you write them in. Yeah, I'll do it. Okay, yeah. all right. <laughs> and, uh, and, but uh, some very interesting cool season vegetables, we'll, so we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Let's talk about something you're going to be doing on uh, Wednesday, October 10th. It's uh, the workshop. At, yeah, Open Garden Day. Uh, open Garden Day yeah. at the uh, Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. Yes, a midweek. It's our last one of the year, and it's midweek, so it's on a Wednesday mm-hmm. from 9 to noon. 9 to noon, and there will be something going on. I think there will be little demonstrations going on. And just Yes, there the are all sort of small demos going on. I think the well garden is going to be talking about and displaying succulents. Mm-hmm. Uh, the herb garden is usually going to be talking about uh, harvesting herbs or propagating. Uh, in the orchard, we'll be talking about preparing for citrus frost protection. Um, the berries are going to be talking about uh, fertilizing your berries and applying soil sulfur this time of year. The veggies will be talking about fall vegetables as well as uh, cover crops. Mm-hmm. Which uh, uh, they have some already in. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure there'll be uh, compost demonstrations, worm bins. Um, they'll be talking about probably end-of-season things to do in the vineyard. So there'll be all kinds of stuff. And all the early fall color in the water-efficient landscape. The, the perennial gardens that are just gorgeous. Yeah, which is just, you know, I, I send a lot of customers at the nursery out there because it's really great. You know, it's one thing to see a one-gallon salvia mm-hmm. at a nursery. It's another thing to see that same salvia three years later in a landscape. And so they do such a great job there. Uh, everything's labeled. Right. Everything's easy to see. Um, and, it's a, and the well garden is open seven days a week, so you can yeah. always go out there. And they have it sort of broken up into Mediterranean, uh, native. They have the ultra well. So there's a lot of different areas. But it's great just to go and look at the plants and see what they're 
um, mature sizes. And again, uh, the well garden is short for the water-efficient landscape. So these are plants that, once established, don't need that much water. And I think that's something we have to keep stressing when we are urging people to plant drought-tolerant plants, California natives, for example, many California natives, not all of them. But they need water on a regular basis for the first year or two in yes. order to establish a deep root system for them to become drought tolerant. Yeah, especially if you plant them in the middle of summer. Right. You know, I, I know it seems intuitive, but a lot of people sometimes forget that when you say this is a water-efficient plant, they think right from the get-go it doesn't need to be watered. Oh, it does. It does. And, and even all the plant sales happening now, uh, and you buy a drought-tolerant plant, until the rains come in earnest, it will need regular water. Yeah. And same with, you know, trees. When we plant, um, yeah. when we sell shade trees or when we plant, because um, we do plant, uh, we have a, plant, a tree planting service th- through the nursery, but we explain to people, even this time of year, especially on a windy day, a, a good-sized 15-gallon tree might go through five gallons of water a day. People don't realize that, and they think they turn their lawn sprinklers on for five minutes, and that's enough of watering, and it's it's not. No, the the lawn is competing with the tree roots for exactly. water, and the lawn usually wins because the roots are shallow. Yeah, because you're you know the sprinklers are designed to water, let's say four to six inches. If yeah. if you've bought a fifteen gallon uh, tree, that's a good eighteen inches down that you've yeah. got to get that water to. Yeah, and that's where soaker hoses or inline emitter. A drip irrigation system comes in exactly, handy. Exactly, yeah. All right. Well, we'll talk more about that. Also, we'll delve into the email you've been sending to Fred at FarmerFred.com as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Got a garden question? Give us a call. 916-576-1578 or toll free 866-331-8255. Email. Send it to Fred at FarmerFred.com. Terry's running the board today. Hi, Terry. And we'll have a garden grappler at 11 o'clock. Clue available at FarmerFred.com or at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. And by the way, at either of those locations, you can get information about Farmer Fred's Ride for the Kids coming up next Saturday, October the 6th. It's the Sacramento Century Challenge, and I'm going to be pedaling my bicycle 100 miles for the Sacramento Children's Home and their Crisis Nursery Center, a very worthwhile cause when especially the little ones have problems at home as far as parents fighting or whatever. I mean, you see these horror stories on the news, and it just turns your stomach. Well, somebody has to take care of these kids afterwards, and it's usually, if it's local, it's the Sacramento Children's Home and the Sacramento Crisis Nursery that are getting these children out of harm's way. So this is a fundraiser put on by the Rotary Club of Sacramento and is part of the Sacramento Century Challenge, Century being a 100-mile bike ride. And I'll be doing that next Saturday. Details on how you can help contribute to Farmer Fred's Ride for the Kids available at FarmerFred.com or at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. I hope you can donate and help out a very worthwhile cause to help those who need truly need the help the most. Uh, and for that reason, because it's next Saturday, and the fact that I'm 60-something years old and I'm going to ride my bike 100 miles, This show you're listening to next week, too. 
Lucky you. But think of this. You're, you're going to hear things that you missed the first time around. So the September 30th show and the October 7th show, it's the same darn show. Now, sure, you can go out and pull weeds, but you could you know, listen and you might pick up some information you missed the first time. So thank you for letting me have a day off after I ride my bike 100 miles. Quentin Young is here from Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery, a master gardener, and uh, helps out at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center in the Orchard area. Let's uh, answer some email questions, uh, Quentin. Uh, let's see here. Chelsea, uh, Cheryl from Folsom writes in and says, can you plant root crops and winter vegetables and then plant a cover crop over it? That's an intriguing idea, but I think there might be some drawbacks. I, I think it's going to be too much competition. Yeah. Yeah. You got a lot of roots yeah. who all are thirsty and want food. Yeah. And depending on the cover crop, they can grow fairly tall and large, and they might shade out some of the other ones. There you go. Yeah, things like uh, clover can get kind of tall. Yeah. Vetch can get kind of viney. Fava beans. Fava beans would get three, four feet tall. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fava beans are turning into one of my favorite cover crops because, and see, now this is the problem with cover crops. You, you're trying to get them to feed the soil by building up nitrogen in the roots. But if you let them flower, you're losing that nitrogen to the formation of flowers. So you have to cut down the fava beans, just basically chop it up into little pieces and let it lay there on the ground and you can cover it with mulch to keep the nitrogen from going up in the air. But you miss out on the fava beans. However, I have discovered that, and you probably know this already, Quentin, that uh, fava bean leaves are a tasty treat. Tasty treat and the fava beans themselves. Yeah. You know, when you buy fava beans in the store, half of what you're, like three quarters of what you're paying for is the pod. Yes. Yeah. And, of course, that's the the other issue that a lot of people have with fava beans is uh, basically shucking those pods. Yeah. And, and getting the peas out of the pod. Some some people and it are, is a lot of work to cut down that fava bean plant yeah. when they get three feet tall. Well, it's, it's like you were talking about earlier on the KFBK Garden Show. You take your garden shears out there yeah. and just basically chop it up into little pieces. Yeah. But you have to do that right as it begins to flower in order to preserve the nitrogen in for the maximum, soil. Yeah, for maximum, right. yeah, for, for maximum nitrogen access, yeah. So if you're sacrificing the flowers, at least enjoy the leaves in a salad. Yeah, and if you're growing it for the beans, you're just going to have a bigger plant that you're going to have to cut up later. Right. Speaking of edible greens, uh, I am, and I wrote about it over on the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page about uh, Malabar spinach. Yeah, I saw is, that picture. That you had a really nice plant. It, yeah, it took off. It, yeah, it, yeah. It, it did well. It's, uh, it's, and it's not a spinach though, is it? No, it's not a true spinach. No, but it's native. It's, it's referred to as a spinach because it's a good spinach substitute. Right. It, and and you, um, I know that you like to eat it, you know, mm-hmm. because you were talking about the soluble fiber. Right. A lot of uh, customers of the nursery like to juice with it. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And so it's got multiple uses. It has. I mean, if you look at the descriptions on the internet of uh, uh, Malabar spinach, you, you see the word mucilaginous a lot. Yeah. Which, which tends to, might be sort of off-putting, like you're eating, you know, organic boogers or something like that. But it, it's got kind of a creamy texture, but the smaller leaves might be less off-putting than the bigger leaves. Yeah. And and one of the guys at work, he actually uses the bigger leaves to put in the sandwich. Yeah, that would be good. You know, so it's yeah. kind of mixed in. You don't really notice it as well. But if you just sort of took a big leaf off off the plant and stuck it in your mouth, yeah, you would notice Notice that texture a little bit more. And when you're, if you've got the image of spinach in your head, you can erase that image because Malabar spinach is a climbing vine. Yeah, with beautiful flowers. And I have it on a, 
uh, a four by eight metal trellis leaning up against a fence and with a six inch grids on this metal. And the whole thing is now filled with Malabar spinach extending two feet above the fence. So that's an eight or nine foot tall. Yeah, plant. that's a really nice picture. Yeah. And it's uh, but it's a nice source of greens. And I guess it'll last all the way through a heavy frost through a heavy frost. And then some people have luck with it receding. And, and a lot of people commented on your page that their chickens love it, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And did, did you finally move off all the last of the Malabar spinaches you had? No, I think I've got two six packs left. Okay. Yeah, yeah right. it's right next to the, the, I'm using air quotes, regular spinach. Yeah. And it might be a little late for it just yes. because it needs heat to yeah. really thrive. I noticed that thing took off at the end of July. So it took like a month of heat yeah. that we had in July. And that thing just went bananas, so to speak. Uh, but it is really a tasty green, Malabar spinach. All right. So anyway, to answer Cheryl's question, you probably don't want to plant a cover crop uh, with root crops and winter vegetables just because of shadowing and competition. And did she mention if it was in a raised bed? Uh, she did not mention Okay, because maybe you could sort of grow your cover crop as sort of like a green manure, so to speak, or, you know, like sort of have it off to the side. Right. You know, like a long row kind of thing. Yeah. So a lot of it, I guess, depends on how much room she had. Exactly. All right, email from Roger who writes in, I'm getting ready to install some new raised garden beds as part of my ongoing backyard projects. I found some designs using corrugated steel as the siding material. Do you think this would be okay for the Sacramento region? I'm worried about them heating up the soil too much in the summertime. They're in direct sun pretty much all day. My plan is for the beds to be about 8 feet by 3 feet. Thanks for any insight you might have. Well, you know, I've been using galvanized steel watering cattle watering troughs yeah the troughs yeah for years for blueberry plants and even though they're galvanized i i still painted them with tractor paint i think i used international harvester red uh to paint them and i think that helps deflect a lot of heat i've I've never noticed that the containers themselves were hot but as you pointed out uh off the air the soil doesn't really conduct that much heat no soil is a poor conductor of heat so i wouldn't worry about it i mean people plant in those troughs all the time right you know so i think especially if you painted it it would be okay yeah in that regard uh my only concern about the galvanized steel or as far as uh, i mean the corrugated steel rather is the fact that it has so many ridges in it could that permanently hold moist soil and increase the chances of rust no more than than wood you know, whether you use pressure-treated wood or redwood Man. or cedar. I mean, I like that look, so I would do it. Okay, all right. Uh, yeah, give it a shot. It was uh, the picture he sent along included, uh, it was corrugated steel for the walls, but the top looked to be redwood. So then and that makes sense because uh, then you have a place to sit. To sit, weeds. yeah, yeah. And uh, you don't want to really sit on hot steel. No, and you don't want to kneel on a on a uh, on an edge on an edge of yes. rusty steel. <laughs> yeah, Speaking no. of which, don't forget to get your tetanus booster. Yeah. You know that's a very good point to bring up, especially as we uh, come into uh, a rose planting season or rose pruning season in December and January, uh, because of the threat from uh, the prickles on the rose plants. Uh, an updated tetanus shot is always a good idea. So if you haven't had one in, what, 10 years? I think it's every 10 years, yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, we forget. You know, we're sticking our hands in soil. I mean, is that, you know, 
a simple cut thing. Yeah, my mom's always after me to make sure I'm up to date on my booster. Yeah, well, and how often as gardeners do you find yourself with some sort of cut for one reason or another on your hands, but you keep working, yeah. figuring I'll wash it off later. Um, you know, I don't think that's going to change. And it hasn't killed us yet. Might be your thinking, but it could. Yeah. So, yeah, good luck to all of us in that regard. All right, we'll take a short break. When we come back, we have more email questions for you. Got a garden question you want to phone in? 916-576-1578-866-331-8255. Email, send it to fred at farmerfred.com. Garden Grappler coming up at 11 o'clock. It's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Welcome back to the program. Fred here, along with Quentin Young, manager of Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery, master gardener as well. And you sell trees at your nursery, and I imagine you give instructions to people who buy trees on how to plant a tree. Yes. Now, one thing I see in suburban purgatory, walking around with the dogs, I see a lot of new tree plantings this time of year. But for whatever reason, they've kept the original nursery stakes taped tightly to the tree trunk uh, in the ground. Please tell them why that's not a good thing. Well, I mean, you first you, first of all, it's on there to help for transport. That's the main goal. Is yeah. They keep it, keep the tree rigid, and then also so that you can have something to tie it to at the nursery, usually, where it won't rub, let's say, on a guideline. Take it off. Because you need that exposure, mm-hmm. both to air and to sunlight. And not only that, but it's quite possible the tree may not even need a stake. That stake, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah that stake. But it may not need other stakes because if the tree can stand up by itself, you don't need a stake. Yeah, and especially if it's a multi-trunk tree, mm-hmm. make sure there's no stakes attached to it. Yeah, again, that might just be for transport. But like you said, if it's, if it's a small tree, mm-hmm. and if the tree can stand by itself, depending on the shape of the head as well. And as far as the proper staking, if, if the tree won't stand up, what's the proper way to stake that tree? Uh, ideally, we do two stakes, one on either side, and you want to usually stake it where the tree starts to bend, if that makes as sense. As far as the height goes. Yes. Yeah, so you yeah. sort of run your hand up the tree, and the point where it is upright, that's the point where you would... You would attach the stake with tree tie ribbon yes. to the trunk yeah. in, a, in a loose figure eight. Yes. Now, that's the other thing I see. And these stakes, by the way, are probably, what, eight to ten inches away from the, the trunk mm-hmm. and not rubbing against any of the existing branches. Exactly, yeah. And ideally, probably perpendicular to the wind. Yes. You want it, You want to support it. You don't want to sort of replace the structure of the tree with the stakes. Yeah. Yeah. The other issue that I see with... Uh, when they stake the tree and, you know, they think they've done it properly is they've tied it way too tight around the trunk of the tree. And then way too tight and not and with a product or with or material that doesn't expand. Um, So please don't use a cut extension cord (laughs) or a piece of wire or a piece of nylon rope. Um, I just I see I see this all over town. Um, Use the green tie tape, Mm -hmm. which um, which is flexible at the nursery, we sell, um, it's called a zip it, and it's basically like a giant zip tie with a rubber collar, and it's very flexible, and it's adjustable and reusable. Um, and when you put that around the trunk of the tree, it's not tight on the trunk. Exactly. It's a, it's and it has a rubber collar that protects it from, from rubbing yeah. uh, a wound into the trunk. 
and I just see too many trees growing over their ties. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, these are all things that make me cringe as I drive down the street. Yeah, and even the green ribbon uh, tree tape, if you leave it on the tree as the tree grows, uh, you, you know, see a mark on the trunk. Yeah. Almost like just do a you know do a twice a year inspection. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, look, look to see what it's doing. Yeah, go out there and and check your uh, tree ties. And generally speaking, those stakes shouldn't be needed after the first year. They shouldn't be needed after the first year. I think I think what sometimes what people forget to do is to look at the shape of the tree. Um, There's a commercial development where I live where they planted some really nice. Raphaelepis mm-hmm. trees. India hawthorn. Indian hawthorn. Mm-hmm. And I think the original plan was to keep these kind of small-headed in the landscape. Um, and they have not been pruned in a number of years. And now I think they're far too heavy for their trunk. And so I'm waiting for the next windstorm to come through. And they're just going to snap off. And Sounds like tree roses. That's, that's an example of, I think, a landscape installation where there's where the kind of the growing of the landscape isn't being monitored correctly. Yes. Nature abhors a poodle. There you go. Or something like and that. And if you're, like I said, you know, the, I think the landscape designer planned for these to be kept small, mm-hmm. but I don't think that has been relayed to, let's say, the gardener or the right. people taking care of it. Yeah, and, and that brings up my other point. Same with the tree roses, right? Yeah. You know, you buy a tree rose, you need to cut it back sort of every late winter, early spring. Yes. And then you need to deadhead it and bring it down to size and you need to make sure that the stake that it has reaches up into the head to fully support the head, not a stake that only comes up, let's say, halfway up the cane. That's why people might use, be using T-posts to anchor a, uh, a stake for... Uh, tree roses it's not the most pretty sight in the world but it works it works yeah yeah yeah. and we forget you know we we have these really nice um sort of easy summer so to speak but we forget our 45 mile an hour windy winter storms yeah and yeah all right let's go back to the email you've been sending to fred at farmerfred.com sheila writes in what is your opinion of empress trees I guess empress trees would be the Polonia. Polonia tormentosa, yeah. 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 Well, my opinion is it's a fast-growing tree. Mm-hmm. Um, they like regular water. They're not what I would call a drought-tolerant tree. They like uh, good draining soil. They grow quickly. They have those large, beautiful, felty leaves, but they do tear in the wind if you had them in a windy location. Um, they have the really nice uh, trumpet-shaped purple flowers and the really interesting seed pods. So it is a fast-growing tree, but like many fast-growing trees, it also has um, kind of a weak branching structure. Um, so it really depends on what you want to do with it. Yeah, big leaves, that, that's for sure. And it is, I mean, theoretically, it's for our zones. Yeah. So it's that. It uh, And I do have a few at the nursery. <laughs> well, yeah, customer's always right. Yeah. Uh, it does like moist soil. It does, yeah. Yeah, so that that's a problem. Uh, the, the flower is fragrant. And it re- it's a beautiful flower. It looks almost like someone's taken a, a giant foxglove and held it upside down. It can. I'm looking at the uh, the great uh, tree site that they have at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo called uh, Select Tree, which is sponsored by the Urban Forest Ecosystems Institute. So if you Google a tree name along with the phrase Select Tree, uh, you can get this great informational page about just about any tree known. And they point out that the uh, Paulonia, the Empress Tree, 
can get 40 to 50 feet tall with a spread of 40 to 50 feet. Yeah, it's a wide tree. It's a big tree. Yeah, and it can grow 36 inches a year. Yes, it's a fast-growing tree, yeah. So this isn't a privacy screen. This is a forest. Uh, it's a forest. I remember uh, a customer came in and bought one because he needed a fast-growing shade tree for his horse pasture. So that's an example of, yeah. you know, this is not something I would put between you and your neighbor. No. If you had six feet of, yeah. you know, sidewalk. Yeah. yeah in, in, in a neighborhood, you don't have that at all. I mean, it's... Uh, like but I say, it, does it's, have, it does have its uses. I like to classify that among some other trees as back 40 trees. Yes. If, if you have acreage, this looks great out in the distance. Yeah. It's uh, almost like eucalyptus in that regard. And don't use eucalyptus as privacy screens either. Thank you. All right. And litter is an issue, too, with the polonia. Yeah. So, and the leaves, if they if it gets too windy, those leaves will get, they'll get shredded in a really windy location. Yeah. Which may or may not be a problem depending on how close you can see it. Yeah. What about uh, pest damage? None that I'm aware of. Yeah, I don't know of any either. So it's got that going for it. But the fact of the matter is there are better choices if you're looking for a... I don't know what you're looking for if you're choosing a polonia. Is it the color? Is it the flower? Is it the size of the leaf? Um, I mean, there are other things out there that might be a better fit for that. I mean, what I'd go for if you're going for that polonia effect, now this might be a stretch, but a fig tree might be a good choice because you do have the larger leaf and you do have something edible. Yeah, and I do know that um, some people who grow the polonia who want the tropical effect of the leaf cut it down every couple of years. Oh, do they? Completely. Okay. And then you'll get this sort of multi-trunk, tropical-looking tree with large leaves, but you'll often do it at the expense of the flowers. Did you know the wood is used for furniture making in Japan? Yeah, it's kiri wood, yeah. K-I-R-I? I think so, yeah. yeah. Wow. And my understanding, and I've, um, this is just something I read a long time ago, was that when you had a daughter, you would plant a polonia tree because it was so fast-growing, and then when she was married, you would make... Uh, like sort of like wedding her new furniture out of the wood, out You'd of the cut tree. the tree down. Yeah, okay. yeah. She's but it would gone, supply it would it would supply you with uh, wood that you would make for her new home. But I don't know if that's a true true story. Well, if it grows thirty six inches a year and you plant it when she's born, so you have maybe twenty five years of growth. Yeah, you could probably build a home out of the wood. Yeah, from a single tree. Well, furniture, furniture. Yeah. Anyway. yeah, yeah. Okay. So, well, all right. That's interesting. All right, the Empress tree. Yeah, only if you have the room. Yeah. Basically, it's one it's of It's just, those. you know, right, right plant, right place. There you go. All right. Uh, when we come back, let's talk about another tree that you got into the nursery, and uh, that would be the crabapple. Yeah, crabapples, flowering crabapples. All right, we'll talk about that when we come back to get growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Welcome back to the program from Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery. Quentin Young is here. He's the nursery manager out there. Also a master gardener. Garden grappler coming up at 11 o'clock. He'll be the judge and hanging jury for that competition. Uh, Clue available at FarmerFred.com as well as at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. Underneath the picture of Quentin with his plants. All right, back to the email You've been sending to Fred at FarmerFred.com. Cheryl says, what did you say? What was the what was the name of that ginkgo tree? This is Cheryl's question. Uh, he mentioned a small ginkgo that was two to three feet tall and wide. I failed to get the name for that plant. Mary Ken. Mary 
K-E-N, Mary, yes. Mary Ken. And then the other one is Jade Butterflies. Jade Butterflies. That one's a little bit larger. How much larger? Maybe five feet. Okay. All right. So, the, and these are ginkgos. These are ginkgos. All right. And they're and they will. Uh, I have them in the sun at the nursery, and they're just starting to turn color. Now, I would imagine that being hybrid ginkgos, they would be less likely to produce stinky fruit. That is true. All right. It's these unnamed varieties of ginkgos that have a tendency. And you want to make sure that you get in a perfect world a male clone. Yeah. Yeah. In a perfect world, but even those. I mean, I was victim of buying a male clone that 15 years later, hey, guess what? I got stinky fruit. And the trees will just do that. So, you know. You can't defeat nature. But if if it's only three or five feet tall, there won't be that many stinky berries. No, just cut them off. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. All right, so Cheryl, hope that helps you out there. Mike from Oroville says, hey, we've been using cattle troughs for years, and they work great as raised beds. They even come with a drain plug so they don't hold water. So there you go. And he, but he points out they dry out very quickly in the hot sun, though. And Mike sent along a picture, and I noticed that uh, your galvanized uh, cattle troughs are unpainted. And I found that using tractor paint on them, both inside and outside, helps moderate the temperature for that. And the choice of tractor paint colors, as you might imagine, are limited to International Harvester Red, Kubota Orange, John Deere Green, or Ford Blue. There you go. Yeah. So you can have one for each tractor. I like that. That's a cool color. That's a cool color palette. Yes. <laughs> very very farm-like. Yes, I use International Harvester Red on mine. All right, Willie writes in and says, I live in Livermore. I have three 30-year-old redwood trees planted 10 feet apart, which, which Willie points out is way too close for these big trees. Yeah. Uh, we had a beautiful water pond between the trees and pulled it out. We filled the hole with compost and stuff around the yard to fill in the huge hole left behind. What sort of stuff? They haven't been doing well since then, slowly losing their bottom branches. What would you suggest we use to get these trees back to healthy and happy? Uh, Well, yeah, I can imagine that their surface roots kind of took a beating when you uh, took out that pond. Yeah, and they may have been accessing the water, too, in some way. Yeah. Yeah, so they're probably thirsty. Yeah. So they're what, used to a lot more regular water, I'm going to guess. That's why they're called coast redwoods. Uh, up the watering. Yeah, up the watering, maybe put down uh, inline drip lines or soaker hoses around the trees towards the outer area of the trees underneath what they call the drip line. Yeah. So put the drip line under the drip line in a circle or a spiral is preferable. Or you can ra- lay it out as railroad tracks. Yeah. And just keep I adding like to it. I do the it. snail shell. Okay, you can yeah. do that. And uh, basically maybe run that. A lot. A lot, yeah. For a long period. Yeah, uh, hours at a time. Yeah. Maybe every other week. Maybe it depends how hot it is. Maybe yeah. once a week. But for hours at a time. And see if uh, getting more water. Because, yeah, obviously they had a whole pond to draw from earlier. And, Willie and also- keep your fingers crossed for a wet, wet winter. Yeah, yeah. And he says, I thought I heard you mention something a few weeks ago about keeping heavenly bamboo looking healthy and bushy. Could you repeat that, please? My heavenly bamboo is about 15 years old and looking ratty. And uh, Q, you mentioned uh, maybe uh, thinning thinning it out. Yeah, probably every year I would take out, like uh, late winter, early spring, I would take out a third of the old canes. Just cut it back to the ground? Just cut it back to the ground. Pick the the thickest canes you can find. Those are going to be the oldest. 
and just cut them to the ground with a pair of loppers. And do that every year. Do that every year for maybe three years and yeah. just try to rejuvenate some fresh new growth and don't top them off. Is the reason for not topping them off is because they will not produce new top growth? I just think they don't look good. Oh, okay. All right. Because I know with some uh, conifers, if you do that, then you have problems. If yeah, you... I just don't think. I see I see gardeners do that, and I just don't think they look right. Yeah. So, yeah, so thinning it out. Uh, works that also works too for crepe myrtles as well if you want to get into complicated crepe myrtle pruning yeah and also for lilacs oh, okay yeah all right that makes sense especially too. if you're trying to rejuvenate an old lilac christine in orangevale welcome to get growing thank you um i have a eastern red bud tree it's i'm gonna estimate 25 to 30 feet tall had it in place on my front lawn for 15 years in the last three years i've had hump caterpillars they're just they're eating all the top leaves, and I wanted to know what I could do besides spraying it because I don't know how I would go about spraying a tree that tall. Yeah, you may have to give up on the top leaves and just concentrate on snipping off the leaves you can reach that have the worms on that are massed on the underside of the leaves and putting huh. those in the trash. Yeah, I mean, red hump caterpillars love red buds and plums and pluots. Yeah. yeah, the first year, all the ones I could pick off, which were in the hundreds, well, no, maybe a hundred. My neighbor has 10 acres, and she said, yeah, let them go at the back of my property, where she had wild plums. Yeah. And I did that, and then I I felt really stupid, because the next year the infestation was worse, because, you know, they they become... Um, moths that come back yeah, and yeah. lay eggs on your tree. I mean, you're, yeah, and like you said, it, it's going to be too hard for you to spray. If you were going to spray, you would use huh. spinosad or BT. Right. Um, I don't know if you could reach it with a hose end sprayer. Um, what I have been doing, I have bamboo on the property. I took a really long bamboo pole. I spread three or four sheets out under the tree, and I whacked the branches where I saw caterpillars, and it rained caterpillars down onto the sheets, and I hand-picked those. And there you go. Is, is that the best I can hope for? I mean, if you can't get up there and spray, then your choices are either going to be chemical or mechanical. Yes. So you, you went the mechanical route, which was... Removing them by hand. Whacking them. Yeah, know. whacking them, and then, you know, maybe get a chicken or two to help you on eating oh, them off the sheet. We have coyotes, so. Okay. Um, anyway. But, yeah, <laughs> um, your other option would be spraying, and, and like you said, you can't get up there to spray. Yeah, I wonder if you had a really good jet spray nozzle on the end of a garden hose, whether it could knock those caterpillars off and onto the sheet that you put on the ground. Yeah, I could, yeah, I can go to my... Uh, Green Acre store and see what they have as far as powerful nozzles. Yeah. Yep. Um, so there's nothing I can actually paint around the trunk that would keep the caterpillars from coming down the trunk and going into my grass and turning into the moths that go back up and repeat the cycle. Well, That's keeping fun. it clean is important. Uh, clean up any fallen leaves, clean up any uh, broken branches that are on the ground, to keep uh -huh. a, a bare soil on the ground, really, uh, beneath the tree. Is one okay. I mean, cleanliness does help in controlling it. Uh, yeah, well, it's on my front, so I, I do keep the leaves uh, nice, you know, off the ground. Yeah. I, are there pheromone traps for the moths, do you know of? Mm -hmm. I don't know, actually. I don't know either, so I'll look mm -hmm. that up. But I, I'll uh, look for that. Okay. Um, all right, that's, oh, what, can I have one more really quick question about a different tree? Sure. Okay, uh, tree of heaven. Okay. Should I, should my daughter just moved into a new house, and her neighbors have tree of heaven everywhere, and so they're coming up all in my daughter's yard. I mean, like a forest. 
Yep. It's the best thing just to pull them or dig them out because I know if she sprays them with a systemic, it'll go back to the neighbor's trees and the neighbor loves those trees. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, the, but you're right. The litter gets everywhere and it can sprout up and I think they can sprout from the roots as well. Yeah, hers are mostly the ones coming up from roots. Yeah, but yeah. yeah after the seed pods drop, she gets those too. Yeah. Your best bet, is, I think, is to dig it out with a sharp shovel. Keep your shovel sharp and uh, dig them out. Okay. That's what we'll do then. All right. I appreciate it. All right. Good, good luck. I, yeah, right. Yeah. That's a, a tree of heaven is not your friend. No. No. It's, it's, it's very aggressive, very invasive. Yeah. And it, it does look, again, back 40 tree. Yeah. Where, where you won't have to worry about the mess or any of the sprouts that come up. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, it's time for a garden grappler, a chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet. Clue available at FarmerFred.com. Clue available at the at uh, the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. And uh, we have, uh, there's multiple answers to this one. It'll have to do with kind of what we were talking about over on the KFBK Garden Show about cool season vegetables. That's coming up here on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, it's Garden Grappler time. Terry, you ready in there to start getting names and numbers, and we'll figure out uh, some winners here. Name a cool season vegetable where the main edible portion is the root, the flower, the immature flower, or the seeds. What was that again, Fred? All right, cool season vegetable. All right, that would be a vegetable you, you could be planting right now. The main edible portion is either the root, the flower, the immature flower, or the seeds, not the leaf. We did the leaf last week. Last week's Garden Grappler was named a leafy green cool season plant. Now, name a cool season vegetable where the main edible portion is not the leaf. It could be the root. It could be the flower. It could be the immature flower. Or it could be the seeds it produced. Name one. Quentin Young is here from Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery, the judge and jury for today's competition. The numbers to call, 916-576-1578. 916-576-1578. You want another number? Here it is, 866-331-8255. 866-331-8255. Name a cool season vegetable where the main edible portion is either the root the flower, the immature flower, or the seeds. Now, Quentin, our job between now and a few minutes from now is to not mention any answers accidentally. So let's talk about something different that you may have in at the nursery now. Cool season annuals. Cool season annuals, yeah. yeah. Flowers, pretty flowers. Flowers, um, let's see, pansies, violas, mums, calendula, cyclamen. We've got primrose coming in. Uh, Let's see, sweet peas. Okay. Um, Iceland poppies. Iceland poppies. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and of those, which ones can be grown in part shade or even full shade? All of them. This time of really? year. Well, I would. I wouldn't say full shade. I would uh, part shade. You could also the cyclamen and the primrose do best in shade. Okay. Um, the issue I have with shade this time of year is you also want to try to keep them kind of dry. 
because mm-hmm. they rot out real easily in the shade if they're too wet for too long. All right. And so that perhaps then in that case, if you are getting a shade-loving, cool-season annual, maybe put it in a container. Perfect. Yeah. For better drainage. Yeah. Or maybe mix in some potting soil or something into the soil, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, and ironically, they're both perennial, but most people treat them as an annual. One of my favorite plant combinations for the north side of the house if you have a north side and a container that you've been swapping plants in and out of would be cyclamen in the winter and impatience in the summer yeah perfect yeah and you and usually you can leave the cyclamen intact yeah maybe as it starts fading around april or may just cut it back and and stick in some impatience yeah they grow as a corm they just go dormant yeah put in some impatience if you're having problems with um impatient downy mildew um, maybe switch out with uh, New Guinea patients or fuchsias or coleus or wishbone flower, the terenia. There's a lot of other substitutes if you're having trouble with impatients. Is coleus making a comeback? Yeah. yeah. I'm bringing coleus back. <laughs> yes. Marty Ballin would be proud. Yeah, there you go. But, yeah, coleus, <laughs> I think they're great. Um, you know, Every every season, there's new new um, varieties, new colors, new textures, but it's a great plant um, for full depart shade. And a sunny windowsill. Sunny windowsill, um, a great way if you want to uh, keep it through the winter, just take some cuttings and put them in a, in a jar of water. Mm-hmm. You know, let them root over the winter, then plant them back out in the spring. So Debbie Flower was here last week, and we were talking off the air, and uh, her son is getting married at her house and she wants to propagate or start up some plants as gifts for those who are attending the wedding the problem is all of the son's friends will be attending this wedding are basically apartment dwelling horticultural heathens from the bay area okay who live in so we're looking at easy care house plants sure or easy care something windowsill that, plants windowsill yeah, plants right yeah. and i'm thinking well uh coleus maybe coleus would work yeah yeah coleus i mean do you have any other ideas on that um we're talking about think plants that do well like on a windowsill yeah windowsill san jose plants i guess if it's bright light you could do any of the succulents okay those would do well you could do a, a whole range of house plants like po- pothos pothos philodendrons ivy Peace lilies, all of those would do well. All right, so something, and obviously it can't be something big like a fiddle leaf fig, right? But well, uh, all of those would stay small, and and house plants are really popular right now. I, I saw a post somewhere about, uh, and this person was um, surprised that the Monstera delicioso is coming back. The, yes, uh, yeah, the all, all the the big um, the split leaf philodendrons. Yeah. Um, we carry a, a lot of different house plants at the nursery. Um, the fiddly figs, the regular ficus, the the rubber plants are coming back. The peace lilies are really good for uh, easy care house plant. They're really good air purifiers. All the different kinds of snake plants, the Sansevierias, mm-hmm. um, the Chinese evergreens, the Aglionemas. Um, we probably have four or five different kinds of philodendrons. I'm getting house plants in, new house plants in, two or three times a week. Um, don't forget your air plants. Right. The Tillandsias do really well in a bright window. Um, we have a lot of what we call itty bitties, these little two inch plants for terrariums. Those would make great gifts. So there's there's lots of options. Maybe for Debbie, that might not be a bad gift. The snake plant 
for a wedding gift for the guests because the alternate name for snake plant is mother-in-law's tongue. I wasn't going to go I know, there. I know, but I was. <laughs> but that would be, that's an easy care house easy plant. Easy care plant, yeah. um, really good office plant. They do well in low light. Um, they do well with low water, and they're also a good air purifier. And there's a lot of different colors and shapes of them. Okay. So, the, yeah, there's a lot of good choices there. Now, when it comes to propagating house plants, that might be a little trickier. Some are easier than others. Philodendrons and pothos, really easy. Piece of cake. Just From snip. cuttings? Yeah. 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 Okay. There's Especially no... the hanging ones. All right. You know, there's... they're called devil's ivy for a reason. You can't kill them. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's get some garden grappler answers here. Name a cool season vegetable where the main edible portion is the root, the flower, the immature flower, or the seeds. First up, it is Don in West Sacramento. So, Don, go ahead, give us uh, one of those if you would. Uh, I'd say turnip. Yes, yeah, you got root. All right, turnip. Yeah, yep. turnip root. You eat the root. Good answer there, Don. Turnip. Good answer. So we'll cross that off the list of uh, possible answers, and we have for everybody today. Oh, a couple of great handouts. One from uh, UCIPM on controlling ants, and I wanted to include that because I noticed the answer back in the house. Mm. And uh, maybe that'll scare them out. And also uh, my handout on New Year's Day tomatoes from your greenhouse. But it doesn't necessarily have to be from your greenhouse. It talks about tomato varieties that are short season varieties of limited stature as far as they don't get too big that you could grow indoors under bright lights and be harvesting New Year's Day tomatoes. Um, It's a step above supermarket tomatoes. I won't say it's as good as a summertime tomato, but... It's better than... We'll go a step above. Uh, yeah, I like that. One step above. Yeah. All right. So, Don, uh, there you go. Thanks for the turnip. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Miles is in Sacramento. Miles, go ahead. Give us a uh, cool season uh, vegetable like that. A daikon radish. Ooh. Q, what do you think of that? Yeah, that's a root. Yeah. Good job, Miles. Yeah, daikon radish with the big white uh, stem. And yep. Breaks up clay soils. Yep. And, and Good both to eat and to grow as a cover crop. There you go. All right. Hey, Miles, good answer there. So I'll be sending you all that information I told Don I'd send him. Say thank you. All right. Oh, you know what else everybody gets? I forgot to mention. Everybody else, uh, everybody gets uh, four tickets to the Sacramento Home and Garden Show coming up October 12th through 14th at Cal Expo. So everybody will get those tickets as well. Roberta in Garden Valley, go ahead and give us one of those cool season vegetables. Well, let's go with the rutabaga. The rutabaga. There you go. Yeah. There's another root. Yeah. yeah. Yep. We're bringing the rutabaga back. Rutabaga back. <laughs> That's easy for you to say. I'll, I'll have to try them. I, I didn't like them as a child, so I'll have to try it roasted. I think there's a lot of things we didn't like as kids that I, you know, because our taste buds do change. I don't think a lot of kids like bitter tasting foods. Um, you know, I don't think they liked unfamiliar foods. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. things like turnips and things like that might, you know, I think if you you may have not liked them as a kid, and unfortunately that turns a lot of people off of certain vegetables. So I would say, you know, try them again now, you know, when you're older um, and see what you think. Yeah, give them a shot. Hey, Roberta, good well, answer. Thank you. All Thanks, right. Roberta. Thanks for calling. So Roberta also will get the... Uh, Handout on uh, getting New Year's Day tomatoes from your greenhouse, how to control ants, and four tickets to the Sacramento Home and Garden Show coming up October 12th through 14th. That's a good at, haul. At Cal Expo, yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. And if you can't go, you can use the tickets. Because they're on stiff paper, you can use them as bookmarks. 
And if you don't read books, uh, you could use them to shim up an awkward chair or table. There you go. All right. We'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll get to answers four and five in today's Garden Grappler. Name a cool season vegetable where the main edible portion is the root, the flower, the immature flowers, or the seeds. It's the Garden Grappler, and it's going on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, we're getting callers four and five for today's Garden Grappler, 916 576 1578, or toll free 866 331 8255. Name a cool season vegetable where the main edible portion is the root, the flower, the immature flower, or the seeds. At the end of the Garden Grappler, uh, we'll explain what all that means as far as. You may be wondering about an immature flower, what that is. We'll talk about that. Caller number four in today's Garden Grappler, it's Diane in Ripon. So, Diane, go ahead and give us one of those uh, edible uh, cool-season vegetables. Hi. Um, I'm going to say beets. Beets? Yes. Beets. Okay. When yeah. When is the time to plant beets? Now. Now? Yeah. Okay. All right. Beet seeds, beet seeds are very easy to plant. Yeah. Or starts. Yeah. And a lot you of people... Go ahead. There are golden or yellow-colored beets as golden well. Golden and yellow, a little bit sweeter than the traditional purple. If you didn't like the purple one because you thought they were too earthy, there's the really beautiful Chioga beet that's that's got that stripe design like a target. Right. Um, yeah, so beets are great. Makes a good soup, too. Yeah, beets make great soup. for uh, Good for borscht. You could eat the leaves as well. Um, you've also got the flat Egyptian beet. There's lots of, there's more of a cylindrical beet. If you look at the seed catalogs, there's quite a, quite a bit of variety. But again, what we're looking for here are either roots, flowers, immature flowers, or seeds, and definitely beets are a root crop. Yep. yep. All right. Hey, good answer, Diane. So I'll be sending Thank you. you. Thanks, Diane. We have tickets to the uh, Home and Garden Show coming up at uh, October twelfth through the fourteenth at Cal Expo, and then uh, my handouts on growing uh, winter tomatoes and controlling ants. That'll be coming your way. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it. Bye bye. Okay. All, right. All right. All right, call at number five in today's Garden Grappler. It's Fred in Greenwood. Hi, Fred. Hey, Fred. Fred how are you? I'm fine. Where's Greenwood? Uh, it's between uh, Cool and Georgetown. Oh, okay. All right. Somewhere near Nashville. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> well, yeah, California. Yeah, California, right. Okay, yeah. well, that's good. I, I don't think we've ever had a caller before from Greenwood. So I have to ride my bike there one of these days when I dare take take on the traffic on Highway 49. Oh, this would be on 193. So oh, okay, yeah. all right, all right, okay, I can do that. In fact, I was just there uh, the other day. Yeah, but okay. yeah, you're on a different portion though. If you're up by Cool, yeah, yeah, we're up on the divide here. So all right, so go ahead, Fred. Give us one of those cool season vegetables where the main edible portion is the root, the flower, the immature flower, or the seeds. I I was going to go for parsnips. Q? Yes. Parsnips. All right. Yes. Parsnips is the root you would be eating on this one. Not the leaves. No. But uh, what kind of recipes would you put parsnips in? Oh, boy. Roasted parsnips. That's my favorite. Is it? Yeah. Roasted. Yeah. Mm. Really sweet. Why don't I just have you back on the show sometime? We'll just talk about barbecue We'll do a cooking show. Yeah. Do do a roasted vegetable. Roasted vegetable. And fruit, And fruit. Yeah. Yeah. We can talk about that. Fred, good answer. So what do we have for... Uh, now, you're in Amador County there then, are you? 
No, this is El, El Dorado. Okay, you're in El Dorado uh, County. Okay, well, that's fine yeah. then. And in that case then, for your grand prize, I am going to be sending you the Placer County Master Gardener 2019 Calendar and Garden Guide, which is widely available at nurseries throughout Placer, El Dorado, Amador counties. So uh, That's awesome. I'll that's be... awesome. I was looking forward to trying to get one of those, so... That's excellent. Well, I believe yeah. uh, they're offering it today at the Auburn Home Show that's going on there uh, yeah. up in Auburn. All right. Hey, good answer, Fred. Thanks yeah. for the parsnips. I also have a question there. Be my uh, guest. About trees. Um, I've got 20 acres here. I've got a building pad. It's fairly large bullets cut on the upper part. Um, I have a bank there that I'm planting trees on, but I it in the wintertime get some really serious wind blows through there and i'm wondering what kind of a, a low maintenance uh, kind of drought tolerant tree i could pop in there this fall do you mind if they always have a permanent bend to them a permanent bend yes i mean are you, are you that worried about is the wind that strong that it would cause them to be kind of misshapen over time uh, it's not a constant thing it's just when a storm blows through um, I've got a liquid amber that's growing there that's uh, going up pretty upright. Okay. okay. All right. Then you're fine. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, if a, li- if a liquid amber is succeeding there, then you'd probably have luck with any strong-limbed tree. Yeah. And you said drought tolerant? Yeah. Once they get established, you kind of have to be on its own. And what um, what are you looking for in terms of mature size? Um, well, kind of something that would block the wind. And I know liquid ambers get up there 30 40 feet. Yeah, so. so you could do a Chinese pistache. Okay. Um, they don't have a strong central leader, and they kind of go through an awkward teenage phase, but, um, you know, you're looking about 30 by 30 on those, and they give you great fall color, and once they get established, they're very water efficient. Uh, okay. Some, maybe some red maples. Red maples. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Get those Crepe myrtles. There. Yeah. Crepe myrtles. Well, yeah. Now, how far away are these trees going to be from any sort of structures or concrete or pipes? Well, the, the there's no uh, concrete pipe structures there yet. It's a building pad that's uh, easily 60 by 120. So it's kind of like uh, uh, the idea is to put like a big shop building or something mm-hmm. there. All right. So, and uh, And how far away would these trees be from that pad? Uh, well, they'll be on the, the downhill slope from the pad to the road below. Uh, it's probably a 30-foot slope and uh, uh, to have access around the building, probably another 15 feet. So uh, it's probably going to be at least 20, 25 feet from the, the building. And how far from the road? Uh, well, it's just a dirt road, so... It, oh, okay. So, yeah. Right. So then I think that's why... I think you'd be safe with the liquid amber. Otherwise, I'd never mention that name. But yes. Yeah. <laughs> so the liquid amber would be fine, but so would the Chinese pistache, so would the crepe myrtles. Yeah. So maples, uh, there's a whole... Now, these are all deciduous trees we're talking about. So if you want wind protection in the wintertime, then you're looking at, at some conifers, some evergreen trees, like maybe okay. a deodar cedar. Deodar cedar, maybe a Leyland cypress. Mm-hmm. Atlas cedar, yeah. yeah. So it just really depends. Aleppo pines, something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. It'd be something I'd I'd want to be fairly tall, you know, at least at least thirty foot. So it, it, my it, vote would be the Chinese pistache. Okay. And, yeah. And uh, otherwise, the uh, uh, non deciduous would 
pretty much looking conifers. Yeah, and but uh, be careful what, what you choose. And like I said, the Deodar cedar is native to the area, so it would do well there. Uh, there's a lot of good pines that are adapted to the area, like the Calabrian pine, the Aleppo pine, uh, sometimes called the Afghan pine. They'll do well in that area as well without much water once they're established. Okay. I know I've got a couple of Ponderosa that already uh, uh, volunteered. All right. That's a start. Uh, yeah. And then don't forget oak. some of your, uh, like an interior live oak. Um, okay. You've also got the right, um, valley. Live oak. Yeah, valley oak. Yeah. And, and for real drought tolerance, a blue oak. Yeah. Or you also have a cork oak, too. Cork oak. Yeah. Mm. I had one of those in Penryn that was kind of awesome. Really beautiful bark. Now, the people in, in the foothills refer to the what we call the valley oak. They usually call it the white oak. And uh, the valley oak would probably do well there, too. Okay. That's all it sounds good. All right. Glad to help right, you, Fred. Awesome. Oh, thank you, Fred. All right. Thanks for calling. You bet. Appreciate it. Congratulations on uh, winning all that stuff. All right. And Quentin Young, Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery, tell us uh, where you're going to work today. I am going to the nursery, um, Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery, 4681 Fair Oaks Boulevard. We're on the corner of Fair Oaks and Mission. We're on the edge of Carmichael. We are not in Old Fair Oaks. Um, we're open seven days a week, 830 to 5. 830 to 5 with a, a fine array of interesting cool season vegetables. Cool season vegetables, cool season annuals, all kinds of cool house plants, all kinds of cool trees. We've got pumpkins. We have a cat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we got we got all kinds of stuff. House plants, too. Yeah, fruit trees, citrus trees, all kinds of stuff. All right. Fair Oaks Boulevard Nurseries, where you'll find Quentin Young. And also you'll find him at uh, the Open Garden Day. Next Wednesday. Well, no, on the, October the, 10th. Yes, on October, the 10th. October 10th uh, from 9 to noon. 9 to noon. At the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. That is correct. It'll be is, our last open garden day of the year. Right, which is uh, on Fair Oaks Boulevard, south of Madison. Yes, behind in the back. Yes, next to Fair Oaks uh, Park, between the park and the uh, church. Yes. So there you Come go. Come by and see us. Quentin, always good. Thanks for uh, dropping Thanks, by. Appreciate it. Thanks for the veggies. Okay, no All right. problem. Okay, Bye. when we come back, we're talking about establishing barn owls on your property. If you have rodent issues and you've got some acreage, maybe a barn owl uh, perch or a barn or a, a place for the barn owls to live might be up your alley. Let's uh, find out. We'll come back and talk barn owls when we return to get growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. No, that sound wasn't fingernails going across a chalkboard. That was the sound of the barn owl, a very distinctive owl with a very distinctive cry. Barn owls may be a big help where you live to control the rodent population. It's been estimated that on farms alone in California, rodents cause something like a half billion dollars damage. Now, if you live in the country, maybe you have a ranchette, maybe you have open fields next to you, and if you have a rodent problem... Barn owls might be able to help you out as well. We're talking with Rachel Long. Rachel is a farm advisor based in Woodland for UC Cooperative Extension. And Rachel, barn owls are a big help when it comes to controlling rodents, aren't they? Well, uh, well, thank you for having me. And uh, rodents, uh, as you just mentioned, are really, really terrible pests, uh, especially for uh, for farmers because they feed on the crops uh, they and they also can uh, damage the irrigation line. So when I'm talking about rodents, I'm referring to mice, 
voles, which are also called uh, meadow mice, uh, gophers, and uh, and then sometimes even we get uh, we get rats out there on the farms. And so um, so yes, yeah, so these are really uh, really terrible pests that uh, that definitely are challenging to uh, to control. But I hear a lot of farmers screaming through the window at me and homeowners as well saying, but what about squirrels? Will they go after squirrels? So, uh, yeah, so barn owls, no, probably the, uh, they won't go after squirrels. You know, they're just uh, too, too big of prey. There's certainly a lot of raptors that'll go after the, uh, the squirrels. And so you have uh, hawks and you have uh, uh, eagles. But the, but the other problem is, is, you know, the squirrels are active during the daytime. And uh, and the uh, and so raptors and uh, the owls are, are are active at night, and uh, and so they just you know they just don't uh, don't overlap. But of course the uh, the uh, uh, like hawks and uh, eagles uh, they're active during the day, and so they're more of the uh, predators of the squirrels. So the nocturnal rodents, the voles, the gophers, the mm-hmm. rats, the meadow mice—they are the mm-hmm. targets then of these barn owls. H- how many rodents will a barn owl eat? So, uh, um, so a family of five, and that would include like two adults and uh, and three young. They'll feed on about a thousand rodents during the se- during the season. You know, when they're nesting and and going out and actively hunting and bringing bringing rodents, or, you know, gophers and voles back to the nest. And uh, so they'll, uh, as I say, about a thousand rodents during the season. And sometimes they'll even nest twice in a year. And uh, when they nest twice, you know, then you're doubling that number of rodents. So. Uh, so that's uh, that's a lot of rodents that they will feed on in a uh, in a year. Barn owls are, are very recognizable if you get a chance to see them by their white face, but they have a, a, a slightly different call than your typical screech owl, don't they? Right, they do. You know that uh, that when you hear these uh, barn owls at night, they actually do screech, and uh, rather than hoot, a lot of the uh, or owls are, are hooting owls. You know, we're really familiar, for example, with the great horned owl hoot. But the uh, barn owls have a loud screech, and uh, and it, it actually can be kind of scary if you don't know what it is, or some people just find it really annoying. Uh, but others of us know that, you know, it's actually good to hear that sound at night because it means that you've got a predator out there that's hunting your uh, your, your gophers and, and mice and, uh, and to helping to control them naturally. I am sure many people have been surprised at the sight of a barn owl at dusk because you don't hear them coming. They can swoop in and you won't even know they're there. Yeah, they uh, they are actually you know they're they're just stealthy. I mean they uh, they actually have uh, their feathers are sort of modified so that uh, so that they just really don't make a sound and it it is startling you know when you're when you're out in the evening and then suddenly a barn owl is like right above you and you just don't even hear it. It's really uh, it's really remarkable how how well they can uh, they can hunt at night and that's what makes them so effective is they've got great eyesight. And uh, and then you just don't even hear the the beat of their wings, uh, the whooshing that you normally would hear from other birds. You don't hear from the from the owls, and that's what makes them su- such successful uh, predators. And uh, that they can they can capture their prey at night, and the prey don't even hear them. You know, one thing is that uh, that uh, the barn owls really do have uh, incredible hearing and incredible uh, uh, sight. You know, they have that they have that icon- iconic heart shaped face that is just beautiful. You know, they're they have a white face and a, and a white body and then a tan back with lots of spots. And that, uh, that iconic heart-shaped face really helps to, uh, to channel um, sound. So they're, they're, of course, they're listening and they're flying and they're listening for those, uh, uh, those rodents that are scurrying around like in the grass. 
And it's just a really just an amazing adaptation to me that you know that they uh, that they actually have this this heart shaped face that allows them to hunt so efficiently. This is a good time too if you want to attract barn owls to uh, find some good places to put barn owl boxes because around this time November and December is when they're seeking out nesting sites, right? That's exactly true. That this is just the perfect time to to put up a uh, a nest box because uh, because the males and females are getting together and they're searching out nest sites. And uh, so the the barn owls actually begin nesting in uh, in February. And uh, so you really want to make sure if you uh, if you want to put out a house for the uh, for the barn owls that now is the time to put it out because they are looking for nest sites at this time in in order to. Uh, to start laying eggs in February. I was surprised to learn that barn owls uh, do have predators coming after them, and uh, one of their major enemies are other species of owls. Yeah, like the great horned owl that uh, that I was talking to a guy just the other day, and he was telling me that he was just watching a barn owl, and a great horned owl just came out of nowhere and just and just and just basically just just came down and just snared it. It was he said it was uh, it was really just uh, kind of a little distressing because he because he loves his barn owls. But yeah, that uh, that can happen. And uh, and so the, uh, the one of the main predators, of course, of the barn owl is is the great horned owl. Now, how about some barn owl house basics? Uh, what size should it be? And how do you how do you clean the thing? Oh, that's a really good question. So there's uh, there's wonderful barn uh, barn owl box or house plans in uh, one of our uh, uh, University of California the booklets called Songbird, Bat, and Owl Boxes that can uh, can be found uh, online and uh, and then also there's a lot of plans also that are that are found online. But you know, it basically, it's just like a large a large box that's you know at least uh, maybe you know uh, two feet by uh, wide. Um, by one foot, uh, by you know, by maybe another 15 inches high, and with a with a hole uh, in it, so that the barn owls can go uh, in and out. And then what you have is in the back, you'll have a little hinge door that you can open up because the the barn owl box will fill up with pellets and such. And so, uh, so you, at the end of the nesting season, uh, usually in the fall, uh, early winter. So you're talking, you know, maybe October, November, December. Then then you can open up the back and try to sweep that out. Of course, you don't want to breathe any of that dust, you know, because the uh, it's basically, you know, just uh, could be could be a little bit uh, unhealthy to breathe that dust. Um, but uh, but then you can do that, and you want to check and just sort of maintain the the houses that way. Going back to the construction of the barn owl house, how big should that opening be to allow them to get in and get out? You know, it's got to be at least, uh, I would say, about uh, maybe six inches uh, high and, say, uh, four to five inches wide. And, uh, and as I say, those plans can be, can be found on the, on the website. And it used to be, you know, that we'd recommend having a perch there, but we don't anymore because I think when you have a perch that, uh, that hawks can actually land on the little perch, you know, outside the hole. And then they can reach in with their talons and, uh, and pluck out a, uh, a little baby barn owl. So, so actually, we recommend now really not even having that perch. 
Again, now's the time that barn owls are hunting for nesting sites to start laying their eggs uh, come winter time. And if you want more information about building barn owl houses, uh, go to that uh, booklet that Rachel was talking about called Songbird, Bat, and Owl Boxes, and you can find it at the UC Ag and Natural Resources catalog. If you just do a search on Songbird, Bat, and Owl Boxes, I'm sure that would pop right up. They're amazing hunting creatures that can help you control the rodent population on your farm or rural area. Rachel Long, UC Cooperative Extension Farm Advisor in Woodland, thanks for telling us more about barn owls. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. You're listening to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Right now, let's talk about bulbs. Bulbs are starting to arrive at nurseries because uh, fall is actually the time for getting bulbs into the ground to get some nice spring color. But there's a lot more you can do with bulbs, and there may be a lot of bulbs that you're not aware of. And there's going to be a wonderful workshop, demonstration, speaker coming up Saturday, October 20th. To the Cooperative Extension Office here in Sacramento County at 4145 Branch Center Road. And that'll be from 9 to noon on Saturday, October 20th. To tell us more about the October 20th fall into spring, fall planting for spring color, it's Master Gardener Ellie Carey. Hi, Ellie. Hi, Fred. How are you this morning? I'm doing fine. Bulbs are so easy, aren't they? Yes, they are. You know, they are one of the plants that turned me on to gardening because they are so easy and they're drought tolerant and they give you a gift because many bulbs multiply. So you plant one and several years later, you have 12 or 22, depending on the bulb. And for gardeners who like an easy life and lots of spare time, I don't think there's an easier plant to put in the ground than bulbs because they come back every year. Many of them don't even require you to dig them out. That's true. They don't until they stop producing, and then it's time to divide. And you can share with your friends or reorg your garden with more bulbs. All right, let's talk about what's going to be happening on October 20th. You're going to have a couple of demonstrations going on. By the way, these are peaceful demonstrations. And, and yes. you're, you're going to be talking about uh, forcing bulbs in containers. I am. That's something that I love to do, much to my husband's chagrin. He thinks it's cruel because when you force a bulb in water, it gives its life for that one-time bloom, and then you really can't use it again. It has to be thrown away into your compost or wherever. But if you force in soil, you can repot that bulb. So we're going to be talking about forcing simple bulbs like paper whites and then going into something a little bit more complex like amaryllis and trying to get your amaryllis to rebloom again. But you know, Fred, our featured speaker is a true expert on bulbs, and that is Bill the Bulb Baron, Bill Welch. He comes from the Monterey area, and he has an amazing um, bulb garden. He has, this has been his passion, his life work. He has hybridized thousands of narcissus and amaryllis bulbs. He's actually taken them from seed to bulb, which takes seven years to produce a bulb from a seed. And Bill is going to be our featured speaker, along with Vivian Sellers, another master gardener, who's going to help gardeners to learn how to create a beautiful spring garden in a container, which is a great experience. If you've never done it, I'm sure you have, but it gives you months of blooming flowers 
And it's so easy. You do it in the fall and your bulbs come up through whatever you've planted on top, violas or cyclamens or pansies. And you start with um, something like muscari that come up first and then your narcissus and then we go into your tulips. It's just really um, a fantastic idea and Vivian's excited to share that with everybody. And is it true you're going to have some items for sale, including bulbs? We are. You know, this is our fourth year of bulb sales, and um, it's our first year offering this seminar. But um, we we always try to find some unique bulbs that aren't readily available so our gardeners can um, purchase something that's going to add just that special spark to their spring garden. And this year we have some wonderful Dutch iris, and we have um, graffiti amaryllis, along with some more basic things. But we are selling this year the Martha Stewart Daffodil, which is pretty spectacular, as you can imagine, for something to be named after Martha. And again, this event is October 20th. It's 9 to noon, but because space is limited, uh, there is a, a cost for this seminar as well, isn't there? Yes, it's $35. Every participant will go home with a forcing kit. And, of course, we're going to offer some wonderful um, refreshments. And you could register online. Just go to Sacramento Master Gardeners, click on Special Events, and follow the prompts to register. Online, you can use your credit card. But we'll also be at the Shepherd Garden Art Center next weekend, the 6th and 7th, at McKinley Park. And we'll be, you can register there, and you can also purchase our bulbs and forcing kits. Our forcing kits are all ready to be gifted. They are beautifully packaged, and you can put them away has a hostess gift over the holidays or take to a friend or just keep for yourself. And um, we will also take registration at the Open Garden at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center on Wednesday, October 10th. And again, we will have our bulbs there for sale and our forcing kits. Want to learn more about bulbs? Want to increase your bulb collection? Then you may want to attend this event on Saturday, October 20th, 9 to noon, at the Cooperative Extension Office here in Sacramento County at 4145 Branch Center Road. Fall into spring, fall planting for spring color. You're going to learn a lot about bulbs. And Ellie Keller, Carrie, thank you so much for a few minutes of your time this morning. Thanks, Fred. It was a pleasure. You have a good day. Ellie mentioned uh, the sale coming up October 6th and 7th at the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center, and that is the center's fall sale where many of the clubs participate in the sale, uh, the Perennial Plant Club, the Begonia Society, the Fuchsia Society, African Violets, Bonsai, uh, and some outside vendors as well. So there'll be many items for sale at the, the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center, 3330 McKinley Boulevard, Saturday and Sunday, October 6th and 7th at the Shep, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. there in McKinley Park. So you may want to check that out. Some events going on uh, today, today being September 30th, over at Amador Flower Farm in Plymouth. They're having fall fun days. It's free from 9 until 4 farm animals, a corn maze, uh, pumpkins and gourds for sale. So uh, it's a free entry, too. Uh, Check that out at Amador Flower Farm up in Plymouth on Shenandoah School Road. More info at their website, amadorflowerfarm.com. Placer County Master Gardeners are at the Auburn Home Show today, September 30th. They are there until 5 o'clock answering your gardening questions and uh, maybe if they have seeds left, you might get a seed packet. They had enough for, I think, the first 300 people who dropped by their booth at the Auburn uh, Home Show. 
And if not, well, you can always buy their 2019 gardening guide and calendar at the Auburn Home Show at the Gold Country Fairgrounds in Auburn. That's going on today. Uh, the Master Gardeners of Sacramento County will be at the Florin Certified Farmers Market on Thursday, October 4th from 8 a.m. to noon to answer your garden questions. And uh, that's at 5901 Florin Road in Sacramento. Let's see what else is going on here. Um, Yolo County Fall Plant Sale coming up next Saturday, October 6th at uh, the Woodland Community College. They'll have free workshops as well. They have an, a workshop on bulbs and corms, as well as dehydration as preservation for your garden's bounty. And let's see, the bulbs and corms workshop is at 9.30. Dehydration workshop at 11 a.m. And uh, the plant sale, 9 to noon. They're at the Woodland Community College, 2300 East Gibson Road in Woodland. That's Saturday, October the 6th. Also, the Master Gardeners of YOLO have a class on irises and hypertufa planters, 9.30 to noon. And that'll be at the Davis Central Park Gardens at the corner of 3rd and B Streets. And uh, from 9.30 to 10.30 is when they'll be talking about irises, 11 to noon, how to make your own hypertufa planters. Go there to find out what exactly that is. All right. Also, Saturday, October 6th, at the McKinley Library, the Sacramento County Master Gardeners have a free backyard composting workshop. McKinley Library at 601 Alhambra Boulevard in Sacramento. You'll learn how to make compost, how to do it right. Uh, let's see what else is going on here. Do, 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 do. Did I remind you that this show is kind of a dual show? It serves the purpose on September 30th. And you get to enjoy it again on October 7th. Because on October 6th, I'm going to be pedaling my bike 100 miles in the Sacramento Century Challenge to raise funds for the Sacramento Children's Home and their Crisis Nursery Center. And it's a very worthwhile cause helping kids in need, especially the little ones where there may be problems at home and they need a safe haven, and that's the purpose of the Crisis Nursery Center. So I'm uh, glad to be uh, peddling for a very good cause. The Sacramento Century Challenge is put on by the Rotary Club of Sacramento, and they're earmarking the funds, again, for the Crisis Nursery Program. And uh, if you want more information on how you can help donate to that great cause, it's Farmer Fred's Ride for the Kids, and you can find that information at FarmerFred.com or at uh, the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. Uh, We'll talk to you live on the radio come October 14th. Terry, thanks for your help. Appreciate it. Have yourself a great week, and uh, stay cool or stay warm or stay dry, whatever the weather may be. It's October. Bye-bye.